Welcome to Live Unashamed, where we pause the show and invite members of our team to talk vulnerably about their own recovery, things they're learning, the resources that are actually working, and what it truly means to live unashamed. What up, y'all? How you doing, Chris? Good. How you doing, Steve? Feeling a bit unashamed today. Me Maybe too. we should report, re- report, record a podcast today on the report. <laughs> we're gonna report today. We're gonna rep- report about how unashamed we are. I am, I am not ashamed of you stumbling over your words on a podcast, Chris. Hey, it turns out I do it a lot. I think I do it more than anybody. Today, you always one up in everybody, man. Today's topic. Uh, James is mad that we didn't talk about this beforehand. We didn't need to. Stereotypes in recovery. Stereotypes that, in recovery or se- stereotypes about sexual, sexual addiction? addiction? Addiction recovery. Stereotypes about sexual addiction. Yeah. 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 We'll narrow it. There we go. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole addiction world we can do, do stereotypes. But about sexual addiction recovery, do you think there are any? <laughs> <laughs> Why no? Yeah. T- tell me about the laughter, gentlemen. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. I, I used to have them. My dad was an alcoholic. So, yeah. So, s- stereotypes about um, addiction would, for me, was like addiction is like I, I compared it to my dad. So, I just thought, oh, well, everybody that's an addict is basically non functional, can't hold down a job, mm. a spouse, a family. Like, uh-huh. it just completely destroys you. That was a stereotype I had about addiction. And I, the stereotype that I had about sexual addiction was don't let anybody know because it's, it's the worst thing that you can be doing. Because alcoholic, it's accepted. Drug addiction, it's accepted. Well, we at least, I, I wouldn't say accepted. I would uh, say we at least have a narrative around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a box we put that in. They've been working Sex on addiction, we're like, you're, you're a pedophile, right? Right, exactly. That's yeah, where you- I... Yeah, nobody's totally gonna how come. I felt like people were yeah. gonna be seeing me as a pedophile if I come yeah. out and share my yeah. story. My yeah. kids and can't go over and play at their kids' house anymore. Totally. Vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna put out my favorite one that we talk about on the show all the time. Once an addict, always an addict. Bullshit. It's actually right out of the big book. Sorry, twelve I said step. <laughs> That's just not true. Yep. Not if you believe in Jesus. Thank you. Like so many people say that all the time and I'm like no that's not who I am anyway well I, here here's the thing that blows my mind about this and I want everyone to go watch the Johan Hari YouTube video that everything you think you know about addiction is wrong yeah find any I don't know anywhere else that we do this and I, and I think what blows my mind about this like what why I just get so chapped is because <laughs> it comes from it comes from our people the shame yeah, around sexual yeah. addiction comes from our people, straight up. It comes from the actively religious Christian folks. Totally. I say that as someone who goes to church every Sunday. Because we we tell, we like... And not geez, just specific world, religion. Patholo- it's, it's the no, majority, everyone, yeah. all the Christian people. We pathologize, you're a sex addict. Like, I can't imagine... Like James, right? Like we've been talking recently. One thing big for you, big for me, is talking about like our physical health, mm-hmm. changing our physical health. Yeah, 
I cannot imagine a narrative where we believe the idea as a Christian people to help you is to just acknowledge that you're a fat ass. You're a fatty, James. And once a fatty, always Always a fatty. fatty. (laughs) And at best, you know, you might be get real lucky if you try hard enough. You might be able to manage your way to potentially look kind of normal like everyone else. But at the end of the day, you're a fatty. And if and if you think you can get away with eating one donut, I mean, you can't. Your life is over if you do. Yeah. Do do it another. Pick anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, someone who, who's struggling with work, right, and having a job, you know, uh, just label that. You're incapable of working. You know, you're lazy. That'd be you're lazy. Or the Once opposite. Lazy, you're, always you're lazy. You're a workaholic. And... You're a workaholic. Once a workaholic, always a workaholic. Yeah. I don't get it. I never got it. This is why the 12 step people, some of the 12 step people don't like me. Well, yeah. Cause that's their bag. That's their gospel. <laughs> and and we don't, we don't believe in it. We don't believe in the once an addict, always an addict. I believe in Jesus and I believe that Jesus heals and that when Jesus heals, it's done. When he healed the leper, the leper was cleansed. He was healed. Which means that he is no longer a leper. Right. It's something that he had, something that he dealt with, and it's just like a sexual addiction. It's something that we deal with. Okay. Yes. But I want to turn the tables on this. Okay. You, when we recorded your story, I could take you in my basement, sitting there with you and Christy when you said it, that the label of addict... Yeah. was helpful to you. It was. You found hope in it. Yeah. I can, so. Sure. I can tell you why. Debunked. James Wilhite's believes in calling people an addict. That's going to be like our headliner of this YouTube video. <laughs> sure. Totally. <laughs> That's our clickbait line. <laughs> yeah. Because my concept of an addict was my alcoholic father. And so when I was struggling with sexual compulsion and it came up every three months, but I was highly functional, had a, frankly, a quite great relationship with my spouse still, good relationship with my kids, good had job. a great job, yeah. like had all of these things going for me. I was like, that doesn't look like my dad. That doesn't look wasn't out of like an alcoholic. Exactly. Yep. And yep. so when, so for me, the, you know, when the reason that the word addict was helpful for me was because I knew there were places addicts could go to get help. Hmm. Whereas before, I thought that there was nowhere to get help. But when that was proposed to me that maybe you have an addiction, I was like, oh. Hmm. Then that pointed me toward a place of like, there's a place I can at least try to get some help somewhere. And then moving into that place, you know, trying to try on the word of like, yeah, I'm an addict, you know, it, which frankly actually never totally resonated with me. You know, part of me thought it was just because of the dissonance of like, you know, seeing my dad and then my own experience. Sure. sure. But now even just even more over time, it's like I, I'll still call it a compulsive behavior, not an addiction. See, when I, when I heard that, when, when somebody, I was meeting with a therapist and they're like, you might have a sexual addiction. And it was heartbreaking for me at first. Yeah, like, because I'm then I'm like, yeah. I'm an addict. And that means I'm like my dad. 
And I never, ever wanted to be like my dad. The demons he dealt with and the struggles that he had. And he was he was a sex addict too. And I was like, great. My whole life is going to be ruined because of this. Because I'm now an addict. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a more common experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's that it creates a, a sense for a lot of people. I think it creates a lot of uh, more shame and a lot of hopeless, oh, a lot, a of, lot of hopelessness. Because then they believe that narrative that you're talking about. That they're like, great, I'm going to have to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah, Looking so, over my shoulder, wondering when it's going to come up and grab me next. Well, and I think this is where when you enter a healing space with that kind of labeling, particularly in, um, you know, you don't ever heal. We talked about that. I manage this for the rest of my life. I'm just this sexual monkey, you know, that just is all the toxic masculinity is true. So we're just going to try and make sure I don't hurt anybody with it. Right. Which again, I don't know how you believe in Jesus and have that narrative of how he created us in his image. Right. But then I also think it creates, there's this stereotype of there's good guys and bad guys. And I was the first place I worked doing therapy. They did men's group, women's group, you know, sexual addiction, betrayal, trauma guy walks into my office and he says, so how are you feeling about group? And he's like, mm, I don't know. You mean when I go to the Disney villain group and she goes to the Disney princess group? Ooh. And I was like, oof, right? And there's some truth to that because I, I felt that, and that was some of the things, frankly, that I think were most harming to mine and Kayla's recovery is she got handed a narrative of there's nothing wrong with you. You're the victim in this scenario. And dude, you're a pedophile. And there's no room around those two stereotypes. There is an entire spectrum of men. I have met men that don't give two craps about changing recovery, doing anything about it, seeing or healing anyone's feelings. Everyone would label him a narcissist or whatever. And I'm like, that guy is checked out, numbed out, does not give a crap. To all the way to this tender guy who tells me he's looking at porn. He doesn't even look at hardcore porn. And it's like so- Or things that are not even considered porn. Yeah, that most people would be like, oh, you're considering that a porn addiction, right? And they're so tender and they feel so terrible about it and they're so open. There is a whole spectrum of people there. And we just put them all the way on this end of you're all pedophiles and looking at child porn. And I personally have beef about that because I was on this other end. I never got caught. I came forward because I wanted to, because right. I wanted to change. I was, ne- I was never hitting on minors. I was never saying, oh, what could I get away with? Oh, this is, let me see if I can, you know, turn, the, you know, let me see what I can, ha ha, eat my cake. Like, I did not have that in me. I just didn't know how to regulate. Like, I just didn't know how to do it, right? And then I think we have the same problem on the betrayal trauma side, that it's like, there's one stance. You were a complete victim. Everything bad that has happened in your life is because, your partner has addiction and that's it where there's a whole spectrum of that. Totally. Just like on the addicts. I mean, I won't waste the time outlining that, but I think you, could, I mean, do you agree with that? Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's just tragedy after tragedy of people not being heard and seen in their recovery because they, well, they fit they somewhere different on the spectrum than the labels. Like spouses just, what we see a lot of is 
I now just know that my husband is an addict and that's all I see. And I'm not willing to see him as an addict, so I'm out of here. Mm, yeah. Well, and then they on the other end of that is you kind of get, you know, the, the person that's struggling with the compulsive behavior or addiction. They'll just be like, well, I'm an addict. I, oh, there's going to be this sort of utilizing that as an excuse to avoid accountability, mm -hmm. to avoid choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and owning that they can actually choose. Because like, well, I can't choose. I'm an addict. Totally. Right? Thank you, stereotype, for making people believe they have no power and don't have a choice. But Love do you think that. people have to go through that that phase of, I am an addict, before they can actually be like, that's not really who I am? Well, no, I think it's the shift of an addiction is something you struggle with. That's like saying, I am COVID. I am cancer. Yeah. We would never say that to someone. My dad's in the hospital right now. They don't walk in. The neurosurgeon doesn't walk in and say, you are tumor. You are cancer. Right. No, you are Greg, who is struggling with this diagnosis. I, I don't get why it has to be, why it all of a sudden is different now. You are the thing. Right. And, and I, th I think and that's I, where everybody goes wrong. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, yeah. Well, I mean, Brene Brown, I mean, it's the labeling. Brene Brown yeah. talks about how the damaging the labeling yeah. can be. I mean, it's all perpetuate shame. But I think it hurts the the spouses just as much. Oh, for sure. Because I've met the ones who want to avoid the label, and they're like, I'm not going to be labeled. I'm not going to be drama. I'm not going to be stuck in this, so I'm not picking up betrayal trauma at all. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, heads up. You're telling me this guy had three affairs in the last year, and he's not sorry and doesn't care and isn't even ending the current one he's in. Nope, I think you should embrace some of your victimhood here. Go <laughs> yeah. ahead and put yourself on the spectrum of betrayal. I, I think you should do the like yeah. <laughs> empowered boundaries, kick him out of the house. You might be getting divorced. Like, yeah, power up, like grab some Oprah yeah. books and let's go. You sure. know, I mean, that, like, that that scenario would just be avoidance, right? It's still avoiding. Right. Well, because they don't want to be the label. Sure. Because they're like, if the label is I'm this, you know, sure. woman whose entire life is defined by this and I have no power anymore. Right. Like I would yeah. avoid that label too. It's why people avoid some recovery stuff. I don't want sure. the label. I don't. I don't. Then, I don't want to be. I don't want to take on the label of victim. Right. And then you meet the people who are stuck in the label, right? And we've all met that that woman. Autumn was telling me about when she met at a fireside, mm -hmm. you know, and she was just uh, this is like here, and she's like, she is just stuck in the label, in the victimhood of I'm a betrayed spouse, I'm traumatized, and there's nothing. It's just bigger than me because it's a late. You are that. Well, I think, and Autumn had to deal with that a lot when she was going to recovery programs, like the 12 step for family, for friends and family. And when she was in there, she was like, this shouldn't be a man bashing thing. Oh, like yeah. it, is, it, it is. She's like, no, that's not what we're here for. We're here to help us understand who we are dealing with all the, all the things that we're dealing with and how to, how to deal with that, how to manage it. And so many, some of those women would get so wrapped up in that and be like, oh, that is absolutely who I am in the betrayal trauma and absolutely became who they were. Totally. So taking this right down the line, then why do we enjoy the labels? Why do we want them? Why do we accept them? So we just spend mm -hmm. this entire time being like, labels are dumb and anyone labeling anyone's dumb and the it, labels are I dumb. I think it gives us an easy way out. Something to attach to. Tell me what you mean. I think you and I are barking up the same tree. Yeah. 
when I don't have to, it, I can attach to that and just go with that easy route rather than have to face more difficult internal questions and like really make a choice. The hard choice that I may, might not want to make or take the accountability that I don't want to take accountability for or, or, or that's where I'm going. And the way I, I would label that is I think accepting a label allows me in the drama triangle to use Cartman's stuff. It allows me to take the victim position. No matter the label, sure. No matter the label. I, that's what I hear you saying. No matter the label. Because if, if I'm an addict, I get to blame the fact that I'm an addict. Sure. Right. I'm not going well, yeah, to be accountable for the fact because I'm an addict. I'm not going to be accountable for the fact that I'm still looking at porn eight years later and I and I run unashamed and afraid. I mean, this is me sure. just two years ago, right? I'm, I don't have to do because, you know, I'm an addict. So, of course, I would still be struggling with this. Right. Or, that, or, you yeah, know. that's what right. I mean. You don't have to have choice and accountability about something. You get to just blame it on something. You get to be the victim of something. You get to just... Well, this is the circumstance. Well, take it or leave it. Is what it is, right? So with For that, sure. with that newfound knowing we have, bottom line, brass tacks, time to live unashamed, put our money where our mouth is. What label are we currently accepting in our lives right now? Because it's easy. Mm. Don't tell me we're not doing it. One hundred percent, we know we are. You're doing it. You're doing it. I'm doing it. Jaren sitting over here by camera. Jane, they're all we're all doing it. The label of unashamed, unafraid. For you, you're saying this is the one for you. Why is that? Because it's something to stand behind. What's the label that you're hiding behind? The one that's making oh, that, it so you don't okay, have yeah, to yeah, make like a you used to be hide behind addict, which you don't anymore. Yeah, you're like right. a bajillion years sober. What's the one that you are? What's the one you're currently struggling with now? Don't tell me you don't have one. The label that you're struggling to put down. I don't know. I haven't thought about it. <laughs> well, you're going to think about it right now. Are you ready? Uh, Yeah. We talked about it today. My story has no impact. So, you know, the label would just be, or the shame narrative or whatever, is that, you know, ultimately, if you boil that whole thing down, it goes down to the shame message of not enough. That's the label. And that's not having to do something about it. Right. Because if I, if not enough, then I don't have to go out there and speak or run that conference mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I think for me, the the label that I find myself hiding behind a lot right now is I think uh, I've we have so many different things going on between accepted and warrior heart and unashamed that I think the label I feel it right now coming up um, is that I'm busy. Yeah, and I justify it because look at what we're doing, and I just think about it. So I just did this yesterday. I pulled the victim, and in fact, I'm now in a place where I'm aware that I need to make repair. This weekend, this last weekend, Kayla's like, will you please be on time to this? And I'm like, oh, it's my, it was my mom's birthday dinner. Will you please be on time? It was Wednesday. Will you please be on time? And I'm like, yes. I'm late. 
I'm 20 minutes late walking out of my office. Kayla's pissed. And the card I pull. I'm busy. I'm busy because this is important because I was just talking to someone whose son is suicidal. I'm busy doing very important things. Which is a way for me to not be accountable for my behavior. Now I know what you were trying to get me to say. So what is it? Busy. Busy that, you? That is 100% That's you? the label that I live behind. Mm. Well, we have a conversation. You do too. But here's I what I want to say. You can get behind the busy label too. You can get behind that? Yeah, I'm hiding behind that one also. I, so here's what I want to say. Probably five others. Live unashamed. What's the label you're hiding behind? Reach out to us. Let us know. And what I invite you to do is not even do anything about it. I invite you to be the live unashamed. Just own it. Just own it that you're still doing it. And what label that is you're hiding behind now. And until we're able to get together again, continue to be unashamed.